With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by sports columnist Ann Killian to break down Golden State's Game 6 win in the conference finals and look ahead to Game 7. Here we are, back at Oracle Arena uh, for what was one of the strangest basketball games I've probably ever witnessed in my entire life. Uh, The Warriors overcame a 17-point deficit in that first quarter to not just win the game, but to win 115-86, to take Game 6 to force a Game 7 in Houston on Monday. Um, It was probably the most Jekyll and Hyde performance I've seen from a team that is becoming known for those types of performances. Uh, And what was just your big takeaway from tonight? Well, at the beginning of the game, I thought they looked tense. I thought they looked uh, anxious. I thought they looked a little bit scared. Um, They didn't look like the Warriors teams that we're used to seeing. They didn't have any swagger. And here they were at their home on their home court and the, the fans were just ready to explode. I mean, they were just standing and waiting for anything. And you, I think you mentioned it in your gamer that you could kind of, at the end of the first quarter, you could hear some boos even. Like, people were just like, who, who are these people? But then it, um, you know, then it, the, the second half was total warriors, you know, total what we're used to seeing. In fact, it was a little bit, which I kind of wrote about, a little bit of a throwback in that, This was no super team, you know? This was not uh, this juggernaut that everyone thought was going to win multiple championships. You didn't know if they were going to win, and so it was kind of felt like it did back in 2015 and 2016 where you weren't quite sure what this team was all about. And then, of course, it was the Steph and Clay show. And and so that was kind of interesting to just... It really reminded me of kind of that first year when they were winning games where there was a lot of drama and a lot of... um, you know, you weren't sure how they were going to win, but it always ended up being because of Steph and because of Clay. And Clay was phenomenal, obviously. Probably the single most important stat from tonight was that the Warriors gave up 39 points in the first quarter to the Rockets. The rest of the way, the Rockets mustered 47 points. Unbelievable, yeah. So in three quarters, they managed eight more points than they scored in the first quarter. It's unbelievable. But what what it shows is that, to me what it shows is that this this team can not only beat anyone but dominate anyone when they're playing the way they know they can play, but they're their own worst enemy. I mean, this isn't something that's new to the playoffs. This isn't something that's new to this series. This is something that we have been seeing for seven-plus months now 
And everyone was saying in the regular season, oh, wait till they get to the postseason. They're going to turn on the switch. This won't be the case. They won't have these lulls like they're having. But, you know, they've been having the same type of issues. Now, tonight, it was extremely pronounced. It was it was probably the biggest, the most drastic example of that as, I, I've, as I've ever seen. But... Uh, but it, the, the reality is this has been an ongoing issue for over half a year. So um, the question is, can they eradicate that going forward into Game 7? or And will it matter? I mean, can could they take a, take a quarter off again and still win convincingly in Houston? I mean, obviously, it's going to be a different environment. I, I don't think... I mean, obviously, they can't think of, that they can. Um, I mean, they're showing that they can, but uh, Game Seven is going to be a desperation game. Um, they're going to be in a hostile environment. It's something they've never faced before. Um, well, they did. They did in Oklahoma City. They faced elimination on the road in Oklahoma City in 2016. But I, I. Th- it's just so weird because when they're clicking like they were in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, you're like, okay, that's they know what they need to do and they don't do it at the beginning of games. It's 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 weird. This whole series has been really weird. You think about how they they um, came out in game one. They they started slow and then they kind of took Houston's best punch and 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 won that game and then they just forgot how to play in game two. I mean, it's just it's just been very strange. But, you know, the other telling stat was uh, 21 turnovers by the Rockets. And that's a lot of it was the Warriors played really good defense. They got the, the Rockets back on their heels and they were looked they felt you could see as soon as Clay hit those two big three pointers um in the third quarter, you could just see them tighten up. Like all of a sudden that self-doubt crept in. So that's what the Warriors need to do to them right away, right out of the, right out of the gate on, um, on Monday, because I, I don't, I think this team, the Rockets team will get nervous. They know they're playing the champions. Uh, they, this was kind of a freebie. Like Steve Kerr said, they could play a little loose, but they didn't really play loose. They played really tight when, when it became crunch time. And, they're going to be remembering that in two days when when they have to play at home. I, I would this game to me just reinforced was something that I I thought entering the game, which is the Rockets need Chris Paul to have a chance. Chris Paul to me is arguably the most important player on this team, which I know is saying a lot because they have a guy who's going to be named the MVP next next month in James Harden. But Chris Paul is the emotional leader of this team. Um, he's probably the biggest reason why they won games four and five. He willed them through stretches when they were struggling. He helped them overcome deficits. He hit timely shots. He calmed them down, critical moments. Um, he was just a leader, um, and he's a winner at, at his at his core, which, which is interesting because this is his first conference finals ever. Uh, but I just felt like – when you lose a guy like Chris Paul, you don't just lose him, but you, there's a trickle-down effect, and you're, you're forced to expand your bench a little bit more. And the Rockets don't really have much of a bench. Mike D'Antoni's been playing seven guys this series, and the guys who were out of the rotation before the Paul injury, guys like Luke Mbamute, Ryan Anderson, uh, you know Joe Johnson, those were guys who had their moments in the regular season 
well, maybe not Joe Johnson, but Mbamute and Ryan Anderson, uh, but they were out of the rotation for very obvious reasons. And then Tony had no choice but to play those guys meaningful minutes, at least Mbamute, who had 15 uh, minutes. Anderson only played seven. A lot of that was in garbage time, but it just it just underscored the lack of depth that this team has. And, you know, you, when you have a guy like Eric Gordon starting in place of Chris Paul, yeah, he can score. He had eight quick points tonight. He had 19 on the night. But he's not a playmaker. And so you're forced to put all the playmaking responsibilities on James Harden. And, you know, that's that's a big load to carry. That's obviously why they kind of petered out in the playoffs last year. And um, I just don't think that they have a real shot if if he's not available for for game seven well and i'd be i'd be shocked if he was available i mean we saw him grab that hamstring that's that's not something that that uh heals up in just a couple of days um you could see the leadership you're talking about tonight you know it was it was not the Kawhi leonard show chris paul was out there sitting on the bench going up and down the you know talking to his guys talking to everyone during timeouts i mean he was trying to have as much of an impact as he could in the game um, and and I, I think you're right. You know, I mean, I think the mental side of these kind of elimination games is huge. And for Houston, they're going to think about how they have not come through in the big moments in the past. And that's James Harden. It's his team that hasn't come through. So, you know, I mean, I think that that is going to enter the equation. I know that a lot of the Houston media thinks D'Antoni, because of his short, you know, his seven-man rotation, that he's really wearing his guys down. Um, Harden insisted that he wasn't tired in the um, second half, but he looked tired. Um, He looked sloppy. He looked like he was trying to draw those fouls that he gets in the regular season. But I I thought it was a pretty well-officiated game. I mean, they weren't going to give away a lot of of, uh, fouls. He was the only guy on the floor, actually, who got into foul trouble. But... um, yeah, I th- I think I think you're right about Chris Paul. He has been the difference maker on this team. He's there really the reason that they got here. I mean, in the last round, he was the one who kind of willed them into the Western Conference Finals. So, um yeah, I I think I think it's a you know, and and it Steve Kerr said he doesn't think Andre Iguodala is going to play. Um though it's he's still saying he's day to day. So, there's those are two critical guys who are missing and it's kind of a bummer but that's also the way it is this time of year it's just you know kind of a war of attrition it's such a long season and the playoffs go on for so long and and what we saw again tonight was why clay thompson is the most combustible player on this team you know everyone likes to talk about kd steph steph's probably the greatest shooter of all time kd's arguably the the greatest scorer of all time or or at least one of them and people kind of forget about clay thompson but clay thompson for my money is the most explosive player on this team and by that i mean he's more apt to have a big quarter or a big three to four minute stretch as anyone else on this team this is a guy who went off for i think 37 points against sacramento a couple years back in a quarter he obviously had 60 points in 29 minutes against indiana last season um and you saw that a little bit again tonight he had uh he had another big night in a crucial crucial time he had 35 points um 
really riding nine three-pointers. And those nine three-pointers are the most in NBA history behind 11. Do you know who scored the who hit those 11 three-pointers in a game? Yes, I do. <laughs> who was that? Clay Thompson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes, Clay Thompson, game six of the Western Conference Finals <laughs> in 2016. Someone asked a funny question after the game at, with Steph and KD up there. They asked, do, do you remember, do you have any thoughts or memories from that game six game against Oklahoma City? And uh, Durant was basically like, next question. Because obviously he was on the Thunder at the time. Yeah, he w- he was the one who was uh, the victim of Clay's amazing game, you know. And that was—I mean—I wrote a little bit about it. It was a big talking point after the after the um, game of why is Clay suited? You know, he's got the perfect personality where he doesn't really get ruffled by anything. He he says he used to. He once walked out of an arena in his uniform. He was so pissed off that they had lost. But he, you know, he is the reason we all trip off him so much is, you know, he's kind of got that clay demeanor. He's the same when he's dancing in China or signing a toaster or, or blowing a kiss on the court. Like he did uh, the other, the other night, I think it was game uh, maybe three. Um, And he, he doesn't get, he doesn't get rattled and he doesn't really feel the pressure of an elimination game. I don't think Um, even in the first half when no one was playing, particularly well he seemed the least rattled he seemed pretty calm and steady and he was playing really pretty good defense so when he came out and hit uh two of their first three shots were three pointers by him in the third quarter and you could see like oh it's clay you know you can kind of tell when clay is going to go off and then you could also see that the rockets really and and they they said it they said that the the first few minutes of the third quarter was where the game was lost and that was pretty much thanks to clay yeah it, it, the funny thing that one of the things i chuckled about post game was it took all of probably four seconds for steve kerr to call clay a machine uh which is kind of his his go-to um it kind of gets lost in the fact that the warriors won big but kevin durant struggled again tonight he uh was six for 17 from the field one for five from three could never really get in a groove he he still finished for, with 23 points because he was 10 for 14 from the foul line but you know he obviously struggled big time in the last two fourth quarters of games four and five and it, it feels like he's he's just a far cry from the dominant force we saw in these playoffs a year ago and and why do you think that is is it just the defense that that the Rockets are playing on him have they figured something out or is it more does it more have to do with how the offense is running or is it just a Durant thing I can't really tell um I think that you know he was he was playing really far away from the basket a lot tonight which was kind of weird um I think they are playing him they're pushing him out a little further uh I think he might be feeling some of you know, I mean, he's a sensitive guy, and he reads what's written about him. And this criticism about, you know, the ISO and, and uh, that he's, you know, he's the one who's changing the flow of the Warriors' offense, which to a certain degree is true, you know. That's true. I mean, you're not like you would trade a weapon like Kevin Durant for anything, but, I mean, he, having him does definitely change the, the look and, and – I don't know if it's, you know, I, I do think he feels some pressure, and so he does a little hero ball sometimes. I don't know. But he, um, you know, he was so dominant in the first few rounds, 
and uh, he just, yeah, he's looked very different. And um, but when Steph and Clay are clicking the way they were tonight, that's when the Warriors are at their best, no matter what, no matter who else is on the court with them. So I think Durant knows that, and he he made some good passes, and he was he seemed willing in the second half to kind of take a a step back and let them be the stars of the show. He didn't feel like he had to do too much. Yeah, honestly, you look at this box score, and it's a box score the Warriors are almost always going to win with. You know, you, you, you know, when you have Clay Thompson going for 35, Curry going for 29, Durant chipping in 23, and then you have Draymond uh, corralling 10 rebounds, dishing out nine assists, grabbing four steals and blocking five shots they're they're going to be in good shape um because like you said they're, they're at their best when the splash brothers are doing their thing and i think that was an important development in that second half was it was the first time we had seen those two in a rhythm at the same time at least probably for this whole series i mean for at least for a while um and that was i think important because I think especially if Paul comes back for Game 7, now I know you, you think he probably won't, but if he does come back, I, I think um, they they need to get away from that iso ball that was dominating much of the series and keep with this movement-heavy system that they did a nice job with, especially in that third quarter. Now, kind of getting into the nitty-gritty a little bit, Jordan Bell played 21 minutes tonight. In Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals, he played, he played two more minutes to Kevon Looney, who, by all accounts, had, had leapfrogged him on the depth chart. What did you think of that? And is this something that he that Bell can build on going forward throughout the rest of the playoffs and also into next season because the the Warriors only have two centers under contract for, for next season, and it looks like Bell is going to have to be a factor. Um, well, can he build on that for the rest of the season? I mean, we don't know how long the rest of this, this season might last four more quarters. But, yeah, I mean, I just thought, um, and, you know, looking at Twitter during the game, you know, people's heads were exploding with some of Kerr's rotations because he had Looney and Bell and Nick Young all on the floor at the same time. He, he, had, he was doing some nutty stuff. But I thought, I thought Jordan Bell played, pre, played pretty solid, solidly. He's really active. He's really physical. Um, I thought, and I think Kevon Looney's been playing great. So, you know, I think it's good developments. You know, the fans seem to think that the starters should play the entire game. Never sit Steph, never sit Clay, never sit KD. It doesn't work that way. And so he's, you know, without Iguodala, he's really been, and as you've written about many times during this series, about kind of their weird makeup with all these centers on their bench they you know they he Steve Kerr is having to be oddly creative and um so we we've seen some really interesting lineups but these guys are getting you know huge minutes at crunch time at really important games I mean yeah would you have thought 21 minutes in an elimination game no you never would have thought that but um yeah somehow it all worked out what have you thought about the job that Steve has done coaching in this series because that's kind of been a hot button topic too is you know are we seeing Steve and probably one of his biggest challenges as a, as a coach 
kind of wilt under the pressure in some ways. Is he is he unprepared for this moment? A lot of people make the argument, including our boss Al, who had a calm couple of days ago about uh, the fact that he thought that Mike D'Antoni was out coaching Kerr. And one of the things he pointed to was the fact that at least until tonight, uh, the Rockets were largely able to enforce their will and get the, the Warriors to play the way that the Rockets play. Um, what, do, what do you think of that whole discussion? And do you think that a little bit, do you think that people are being a little bit harsh on Steve at this point? Yes, I think people have been very harsh on Steve. It's such a what have you done for me lately. It's like, really, are we really going to tell Steve Kerr with, you know, the the bench that they have, um, how he should coach the game? There were there were some things, you, you know, the timeout issue in what I'm getting all my games confused. Was that game four? Um, yeah. I mean, there's been a few little things, but. But uh, and the Quinn Cook shot, but that was Draymond Green who found him. I mean, that's the thing about the basketball. The guys are on the floor. You have to trust them, you know. And and these are champions, and they're really really good players, and they know how to play. They know what to do. You can in, during those timeouts, you can hear him telling these guys over and over again what to do to make the extra pass. And they sometimes they just don't do it. Now is that Steve Kerr's fault? I mean, what's he going to do? Like bench. Kevin Durant in the middle of the uh, playoffs to Western Conference Finals to to punish him or I mean you know they they know what to do they um, they're a little out of sorts without their babysitter without Iguodala out there but I I'm not one to pretend like I know more than Steve Kerr when it comes to coaching so I'm I'm not really gonna and I don't know you know we'll see I mean it, it's yet to be played out we'll see if Mike D'Antoni outcoaches him. Because, you know, if, if what some of these Houston guys, media people think, they think he's wearing his players down. And, you know, a game seven is when that really shows up. So we'll see. And, and both, both these coaches are having to deal with fatigue and injuries and how to get the most out of, uh, out of their players. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, Mike D'Antoni didn't look like a genius coach tonight. But that was because, you know, his players didn't play very well. One thing that uh, was really surprising to me and news of this broke well before tip-off was that Pat McCaw was going to be active, uh, which blew my mind, to be honest with you, because um, McCaw, everything pointed to the fact that he was probably going to sit out the rest of the postseason. You know, only a few weeks ago, he was struggling to walk. You know, it was only – it was less than two months ago that he thought he might be paralyzed. Um and in after that scary fall in Sacramento and here he was game six big stage and not only was he active but he actually got in the game in the last four minutes with the game well in hand uh got some mop-up duty and you know got a nice uh roar from the crowd which was kind of a a feel-good moment what do you think about that I mean this is a guy who wasn't even supposed to be reevaluated until next week. Like I was, I kind of had it on my calendar of, okay, ask about this come next week when he gets reevaluated. And then it comes out, I think Yahoo broke it that he was going to be active. And I called his dad immediately. And his dad was like, even his dad was surprised. Mm -hmm. His dad was like, yeah, I guess he is. Like I just talked to him and I guess he is going to be active. I don't, you know, I guess he's feeling okay. So, but he hadn't gone through a full practice yet. You know, I, I don't fully understand why he was active, I just know that it was a cool moment. 
It was a cool moment. He got a nice uh, ovation, and then he hit a hit a little jumper, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was good. But I don't know. When I first heard it this afternoon, I was thought it was a little bit of a sign of desperation. Um, I mean, maybe does it mean that they're sure Iguodala is not coming back, and they just felt like they needed to add an extra body? Um, I don't know. Uh, it it did seem odd to me because why why throw someone you know who's a really young guy anyway into um into that kind of environment when he's coming off an injury so I don't know with all the other stuff going on we really didn't talk about it that much with Steve but um I'm sure there must be some sort of a strategy involved that (laughs) I'm not sure what it is um speaking of Andre uh Steve said uh tonight that they're going to game plan and plan going forward as if Andre will not play. Uh, you know, I, I'm led to believe that he probably will not play game seven. Um, and we've seen, I think we, we've seen the value of Andre in these past three games. Even tonight, even though they won big, they're, they're, they Steve has to be so much more creative with his rotation because he has four or five centers that he probably doesn't want to play against the small ball lineup that the, that the Rockets have. And so it just it creates situations where Nick Young has to play meaningful minutes, Quinn Cook has to play meaningful minutes, and it's kind of a trickle-down effect. And the reality is I know a lot of people don't necessarily think Andre's had a great season because his numbers haven't been very good. Uh, but he, what he does is so much more important than the numbers. I mean, he's a steadying force on this team. He He's kind of, uh, he's kind of that veteran leadership on the court. He doesn't make – any mistakes really and the thing that i was telling someone the other day is this is a big deal his absence has been a big deal because he doesn't make mistakes and the people that are replacing him make a lot of mistakes now that might sound like an oversimplification but i think that's why this matters and i think if he is ready to go and is healthy for game seven that only helps their chances in a significant way oh yeah and, and, you know, it's a weird thing. It's a bone bruise. So it's like, I don't know. Um, it must be a really, really serious bone bruise. Um, but he, that's why, I, you know, when people start citing statistics and all of that, um, I, I, I just kind of roll my eyes because players like, like Andre don't show up in the box score very often. But all you have to do is look with your eyes and not your calculator. And it shows, you know, who's the most important, one of the most important players on the floor most of the time. And he does everything, like like Steve always calls him, the organizer. You know, you can just see it. And you can also see, without him, they're not organized. And it's weird, because you saw it again tonight at the beginning of the game. I mean, I, I, I wasn't sitting next to you, but I'm sure you probably thought, like, well, if Andre was out there, this probably wouldn't be happening. They wouldn't, their spacing looked wrong, their, you know, just... Everything looked off for for a full quarter easily. And he's the one who helps all of that and kind of communicates and keeps them, you know, organized on defense, organized on offense, makes the right pass. I mean, yeah, you you can't overstate his importance. And I think we've seen it in these last few games. I mean, I think if Andre had been healthy, this series would probably be over. So kind of putting a bow on things real quick. What are you what are you looking at in game 7 and what's your what what what's the number one thing you want to watch for in game 7 and what is your prediction? Um well 
The last time we did a podcast, my prediction was if it went to seven that Houston would win. And I guess my edge would still be there because I do think home court advantage is pretty big. But then when the Warriors play the way they did tonight, um, I would never want to bet against them. I, I want to see that they don't turn over the ball. I want to see it, that they start smart. You know, they didn't start smart today. They start started kind of back on their heels and, and you know, just it, they were just off their game for a full quarter. And I think, you know, what they really want to do is take it to them, to the, to the Rockets right away and get that doubt in their, going in their head and in the crowd, get the crowd tight, get them tight. And that's, then you know everything will take care of themselves. But if they, if they let the Rockets get a lead and a seventeen-point lead, or anything like what happened tonight, um, you just can't come back from something like that on the road. So I, they really have to. They really have to play smart right out of the gate. And they can't. They can't. You asked earlier, can they take a quarter off? I don't think they can take a quarter off. No, I don't think they can take half a quarter off. They need to be on it. As I said earlier, I, it's hard. It's kind of hard to predict because you don't know if Andre is going to be there. You don't know if Chris Paul is going to be there. I really think that this game could be decided before tip off in terms of is Chris Paul is Chris Paul going to play? If Chris Paul does not play, I think the Warriors win. There, I'd be shocked if the Warriors didn't win if Chris Paul was out. If Chris Paul plays and he's at least close to one hundred percent, I think that. The Rockets have a good chance, but I still would pick the Warriors. Um, I just don't see them messing this up. You know, it, everything has led up to this moment. The entire season has led up to this moment. Um, and so I, I say the Warriors win, and they win by less than 10. I say it's, you know, something like a five or six point win. It's funny that you say that everything's been building up to this moment because it kind of feels that way. I mean, like, you know, we've. We've kind of rolled our eyes at times like, oh, this team is boring, right? They're just – I mean, you think about the playoffs last year. I mean, they lost one game. It was just – you know, it felt so dominant. And it's almost like they're entertaining us on purpose by being this way. And this is something they've never had to do is win a game seven on the road. So we'll see. I, I mean, I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a fun one. Ann and I will be there along with our, our boss, Al. So follow all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is Thank You for Playing by Ryan Little, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. The show, the show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more Warriors coverage, you can follow us on Twitter at con underscore cron and at Ann Killian. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. Also, follow us on iTunes. And if you have some time, give us some feedback. 